Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Force Chatter. We have a lot to talk about this week. We have two episodes of The Mandalorian. We've got three episodes of The Bad Batch, and we have two hosts. I'm Eric, and I am joined tonight by Lou. Lou, how are you doing tonight? I am doing great. All right. So uh, Tom wasn't able to join us tonight, and neither was Tim. And uh, I just want to give a, a quick shout out. Tim is not here because he is off recording Guardians of the MCU. They had to shift their recording night this week, and they're doing their 300th episode. Yeah, it's impressive. It is very impe- impressive. People who have not podcasted before don't realize uh, getting to 300 episodes, it's it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And, and they not only did they do it, but they've done it well. They mm-hmm. have some great content over there. If you're a Marvel fan and you're not listening to that show, I don't know why you haven't checked it out yet, but you need to. So head over to randomchatter.com, grab that, throw it in your podcast player or, you know, however you get your podcasts, you need to be listening to guardians of the MCU. And uh, congratulations to all three of them over there, Tim, uh, John, and Sheba. They've they've got great stuff. So just wanted to give them a shout out. And also, Tim, because you're not here, uh, you know, you suck and anything that goes wrong, it's your fault. <laughs> Tom, it's okay. Tom gets a pass. Not Tim. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just wanted to clear that up. So I guess it's good that we've only got two hosts this week because <laughs> we've got five episodes to cover and i guess with only two <laughs> exactly yeah fewer opinions um yeah so just up front we are going to talk about the bad batch at the end of the episode and lou i don't know about you i i feel like the bad batch it's a little less of an analytical look it's um mm-hmm. not as you know there are deep dives to do sometimes on the bad batch but uh i think the Mandalorian has a little bit more interesting to talk about. Not to say that we didn't get some good episodes of the bad batch, but I I think we're probably going to spend more time on breaking down the Mandalorian. Does that, does that sound right to you? Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. I mean, the the episodes of late for the bad batch have been a little bit lighter, I guess they're not diving into stuff as deep as I think they, they sometimes can. Um, and definitely Mandalorian is deep diving into stuff pretty deep right now. So, yeah. And, and though we've gotten some, some monumentous moments, that was very unintentional alliteration there. <laughs> uh, we've got some really good moments in the bad batch. I think because it's more of a family show and it's hitting a broader spectrum of audience, I think they do a little bit better job explaining things there and therefore, there's less to have to break down in a podcast because it's already kind of been explained. And the repercussions have already kind of been laid out because you have to with that kind of storytelling. So this is not to diminish the Bad Batch, but I think the Mandalorian, some of the storytelling is a little bit more subtle and understated. And, um, you know, trying to figure out what people's intentions are and things like that require a little bit more analysis and insight. And I think in fact, these two episodes, we're going to get to those specific points. Uh, so just as a reminder, this is the Mandalorian season three, and we're going to be covering episodes 
two and three. So the first one is The Mines of Mandalore. We, we talked episode one on the last episode. We had some mixed thoughts about it. And uh, I kind of feel like this second episode redeemed a lot of that. What were your thoughts on the minds of Mandalore, just in general, Lou? In general, I, I think it was a better episode than the first one. You know, it it, it went in the direction I kind of wanted to see things go. So it felt not that it has to go in the way I want it to go, but it felt like a better episode. It was it yeah. was not as controversial it went along the lines of where i think people expect the show to go not that it expected is, is a good thing i i feel like i'm wording this badly but it just felt <laughs> better um than yeah. the first episode did yeah i i agree it felt like it was moving things along is it less about kind of setting up the chessboard and now we've actually got the pieces moving uh and i would say that the audience, for the most part, agreed. If you look at IMDb and the audience scores there, and again, this is not some kind of um, you know diehard litmus test or anything, but just to give people a general impression of what overall opinions are, this has an 8.4 out of 10 stars, which actually ranks it fairly high. Uh, and it's definitely the highest rated of season three so far. We're going to come back to that in a moment when we get to the third episode. So a quick overview. We start out on Tatooine with Pelly. Yay! You're fired. I, I like Pelly. Come on. <laughs> I I cannot adequately describe how <laughs> painful it is to see Pelly on screen. Like I get a headache. Like I see it and I just emotionally groan. But oh, Eric! I know people like her. So, and again, no offense to the actress. It's not her, my my dislike of the character is not because of the actress. I just want to be very clear about that. Uh, I just I hate the character. Sorry. I think she makes it good with Grogu because you know, we talked before about. You know why is Grogu still there? Is you, know, you couldn't get rid of him? How do you you know how do you make this work? And I think she is good for him, if that makes sense. The the person who's scamming people on Tatooine and having Jawas steal parts off their speeder, no, but, and but then they her... bring the speeder into her shop, and then she goes to the Jawas to get the parts back. She's good for Grogu. She's. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you get yourself out of the mud I'm on this one. Go ahead. She, I'm not saying she's good for teaching the child what to do and what not to do, but oh, she's okay. good for the story elements. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that that's fair. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical, though, with her skimming people back and forth. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, I guess, to me, that's how I've always seen the character anyway, so I I did like that because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, good, there... They're going to show her as the slime ball that she is. That that's it's great. Yeah. Fortunately, the whole episode wasn't about her, um, so we didn't spend a lot of time there. But yeah, she's running scams there. Din Djarin shows up, wants an IG memory circuit so he can take a, a droid spelunking with him on Mandalore. And uh, so she says, well, the Jawas don't have 
an IG memory circuit. But, but have I got a deal for you? You remember that guy back in A New Hope with the bad motivator? Well, his motivator's been fixed and he is all kinds of motivated now. So she gives him (laughs) R5-D4. Who's not motivated? He does not want to go. You know why he doesn't want to go, Lou? Do you have any idea why this astromech might not want to go spelunking in in Mandalore? Um, No, I don't think I have an issue. Well, I'm going to educate you on it. Okay? He's an astromech. Astromechs don't spelunk. They True. Tiny they, they little like wheels. Ships. Yep. They can barely get up and down stairs. Do you think the mines in these rocks and crags after not just mines, but mines that have been bombarded are going to be compatible with droids that have difficulty navigating stairs? let alone spelunking. Um, yeah, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So there's your education right there. That's why R five D four. It's not a coward. He's smart. He knows that he does not belong spelunking in caves. But you know, it also shows that Mando isn't really that street smart. Either. Nope. <laughs> nope. Know? I have never been more disappointed in him in my life. Well, so, you know, maybe we'll say this for the end, but I mean, I've been, I've been having a lot of second thoughts about Din and, and how, how street smart he is, the how common capable sense he is. Level. Yeah. A lot of that stuff. It's yeah. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, and we talked last episode about the tactics with the Mandalorians with that big giant alligator thing. Mm. I mean, I get it. It. It's Star Wars. You can go back through all of the movies and look at the tactics and and some of the common sense moments where common sense wasn't displayed. So I get true, it. true, true. But it, <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard to digest sometimes. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, he doesn't figure out R five D four is a bad idea. She. I, I hesitate to say maybe she was the smart one and she's just trying to get rid of the droid, but she didn't seem to figure out that it was a bad idea. Only the droid knew that it was a bad idea. Oh, I so, think she just wanted to make the sale and, or, or get, get him gone. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I just, I saw that. And here's the worst part, Lou. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is the most upset. I think I have ever been in any, episode of whether it be the Mandalorian, the book of Boba Fett. This is worse. This was more disappointing to me than when I see Pelly walk on screen for the first time in any episode. Okay. Okay. I just want to explain the degree of disappointment. So I can't get a chip. Okay. Well, I got this astromech. No, no. I need something that'll do spelunking and that astromech won't fit in an N1, which by the way, very accurate. And then the camera looks down at BD1. And I'm thinking, we're going to get to see BD1 go off on an adventure and spelunk. And it's going to be just like, you know, the fallen Mm -hmm. order, you fallen Mm -hmm. Jedi games. And, and, and it's going to be awesome. I, I, I know that's not BD1. It is a BD droid. It's not the same droid from the game. I get it. But 
I was so excited. I'm like, oh, finally, a scene with Pelly in it that works out well. I was so excited, Lou. I was, and, and I've got the Lego Collector's Edition BD1 mm-hmm. droid on the desk behind me here, and I love that little droid. And I was so excited that we were going to get to see a live action BD droid off on an adventure, spelunking in the mines of Mandalore. Right? This is like yeah. the ultimate frontier of Star Wars. It was set up pretty well, but. Yep. Nope. We're going to stuff this little astromech <laughs> droid into that ship. One way or another. I was so, so angry. Now I just want the whole planet destroyed. Like if they can do that to Mandalore, they can do it to Tatooine. (laughs) Green glass all over the planet. You know, it's bad enough. It's a desert planet. And I think we've seen it's gotten more screen time than any other planet in Star Wars history. Probably any other three planets combined. And now it's got Peli. Nope. Glass it. (laughs) Wow. Glass it. Okay, let's move along. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so we get to the mines of Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And guess what happens right out of the gate? R5 gets his butt kicked. You know why? Because Astromex can't spelunk. Right. Not designed yeah. for that. Yep. Yeah. So, so uh, Din goes out. He finds out that the, the surface of Mandalore is breathable. It's not poisoned. Everybody was wrong. He and Grogu go down into the mines. And uh, I have to say this. I thought this was a pretty cool scene. He bends down to pick up a Mandalorian helmet out of the ground. Mm -hmm. Picks it up. We get the Mandalorian theme. He's kind of looking at it. And then all of a sudden, almost the entire floor of the room just collapses upward around Din. Yep. And it's. This droid with this cage for an abdomen, basically, like a trapdoor spider of sorts, and catches him. He can't get out. Uh, Grogu goes and, and hunts them down, and it, it turns out there's a smaller droid inside this larger droid. Din is now in a cage being hooked up to some kind of machine. Grogu tries to use the force to get him out, can't. Din tells him, to go get Bo-Katan. So you Grogu... Know, now, now, this yeah. is the first part of this whole thing is starting to make me rethink how capable Din really is. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying he should have known there was a trap there, but, I mean, he wasn't really observant on a lot of It's like he's just kind of walking around going, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, he didn't seem like he was a, a Mandalorian on a mission being ultra careful of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would have had a gun drawn. Yeah, you're right. I would right. have had every sensor available. Yep. It's like he was taking a stroll downtown. It wasn't like he was, you know, investigating a world has been abandoned for years. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And nuked. Right. And is right. the only place in the galaxy where you can get Beskar. And so, you know, that people were there trying to get any scraps of anything that they could. So pirates and scavengers. And if there's a way to survive there, somebody's going to be there doing something. Yeah. And he spent two episodes now trying to bring an IG droid back to life to help him with spelunking because it's necessary because apparently 
he has to have a droid help him. The droid got 10 feet, broke down. He's like, ah, yeah, we don't need the droid. Yeah, right. Like, Wait right. a minute. You just spent two episodes telling us that the droid was critical. What are you doing? Yeah. And now we know why. And he had no sensors, no visibility on anything. Didn't even have a gun drawn. Not that the gun would have necessarily done a lot of good, but. All, he just like, didn't seem prepared. Right. What about the little wrist? Uh, what would they call them? The little, oh, little um, noisy cricket missile things that he had. <laughs> right, right, right. Whistling like, birds. Yeah, whistling birds. Thank you. Nothing. We didn't see a single piece of armament that, that he nope. tried. I mean, and this is the guy whose weapons are his religion. Right. I think he'd be a little more prepared, yeah. But we did get one really cool thing coming up next. So, you know, Grogu saves the day, right? He gets in his little souped-up um, cradle. Yep. And we now get to see the next ride at Disney Parks. <laughs> because you, you, you're going to get a Grogu's Wild Ride. It's it's going to come. You know, Universal's got one for Harry Potter. Right. The Gringotts yep. thing. It's going to be that with Grogu Red and Shotgun with you. I think that's a great idea. I think we're going to get that. I think that'd be awesome, actually. I hadn't even thought about that, but now that you mention it, and think about like all of the little critters and things that can pop out at you along yeah, the ride. That was the first thing I thought of when he's on that ride going back to the ship. I'm like, oh, this is a this is a Disney ride written all over it. <laughs> it almost makes you wonder if the Disney Imagineers got with Favreau. <laughs> Maybe. Hmm. I didn't even think about that. That would actually make a really good ride. It hmm. would. It would. Wow. We shall see. I'm going to be thinking about that nonstop now. <laughs> uh, well come on we got a show to finish here come on yeah yeah no i mean like after the show the next few weeks i'm like dang it and and i'm gonna start thinking like you could do this and you could do that and you know the queue could be like this and you fly in on a ship like bo-katan had it which by the way uh, i know we're cutting a, a little forward here but so just to get it out of the way grogu goes back to kalavala back to castle um Kreese and and gets Bo-Katan. They get in her ship. They fly back. Her ship. I want one of those. Oh yeah, I like that ship. Just saying. I mean, I mean she stole it, but you know, hey. don't care. Yeah, I know, but like, still, I like this ship. So she gets back, and uh, Grogu's leading her back to where Din is, and it's kind of interesting because she's giving a little bit of exposition there, a little bit of history for people who maybe need some catch-up or didn't watch The Clone Wars. A lot of people refuse to watch the animation, and they'll only watch live-action stuff. So I think this was wise to use this as a moment where she is explaining to Grogu and therefore the audience that, yeah, she has a history with the Jedi, and she used to rule there in that very city, and she's worked with Jedi before. In the Clone Wars, um, she knew Obi-Wan, she knew Ahsoka, and uh, we get a little bit of exposition there that didn't feel out of place. Mm -hmm. It felt organic. So I thought that was pretty good. So they arrive. Um... Bo-Katan takes down some, I guess they're called Alamites, along the way, which I think were native to Mandalore. Okay. 
and then she confronts this droid, beats the crap out of it, and then it climbs into the big mecha droid thing. And then she chops it to hell with the Darksaber. And then we get into the final scene. But before we do, I have a question for you, Lou. Okay. The Darksaber has to be one in combat, right? Yes. Okay. Din Djarin had the Darksaber. Yep. Got his butt kicked by a droid. He no longer mm-hmm. had the Darksaber by it being on the floor of this abode where the droid lives. Mm-hmm. It is then, therefore, in possession of the droid. Bo-Katan gets it from the droid in combat, destroys the droid in combat. Should she not now wield the Darksaber? Yeah, I was thinking about that too, but I don't think the droid ever took possession of said Darksaber. So she didn't really win the Darksaber from him or it because it never really had it. But and he was maybe... defeated in combat and lost it in combat. Like, if you misplace the Darksaber, somebody comes to you, like, 50 years later and says, here, uh, you lost this. I'm going to give it back to you so I can kill you and take it from you. Mm. Like, that doesn't work either, right? Yeah, no, I, I get it. It seems like a little loophole here, and I know people have been talking about this online, but I don't. I, I, I kind of thought. By her picking it up and using it and wielding it so much better than than Din does. Yeah. Um, again, you know, dude, you're a, <laughs> your weapons are religion and you don't know how to use this thing. Um, but uh, I, I was kind of curious why she just didn't take possession of that again versus giving it back to him. I, I don't know. It feels like, even if it is a loophole, at this point, I mean, come on. Just let's just say that that was her winning it in combat. Yeah. I mean, it's Din we, we know definitely that, didn't have it anymore. Right. And we know the dark saber has got to play into something down the road because it's still an element of the storytelling, but right. I, I don't know where it's going with that. So, well, I'm wondering, we're going to come up to a story element here at the end of the next episode, which we're about to get into. Mm hmm. I think she has plans. Yeah. I would like well, to think. Now, she gives him the Darksaber back, apparently. I think it's back in his possession as she's sitting there eating with him. I believe so, yeah. Which I think is a mistake. But, you know, the thing that gets me is, is and so, well, before we go on to that, let's, let's talk about the end of that episode. Okay. Right. So, so the end of this episode, um, you know, he is freed he's able to complete his quest and she's like okay we'll just get let's get this over with um because she doesn't believe in the whole mumbo jumbo what he's trying to do and you know he takes one two three steps into the water and then gone <laughs> i'm like yeah but so and again this is part of that part of that thing in my mind of you're not prepared for stuff, dude. You're not, you're not this, right. this big bad guy that we keep thinking you're, you should be all knowing and, and be able to do stuff. I mean, and it wasn't like he got sucked down by something. That's what I thought at first. At first he I did, did too. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't appear to be right. He, he just sank. And I'm like, so she got to you with a jetpack, and she had to go a long way down to get to you. 
you have a jetpack too. <laughs> I mean, I, so I just don't get yeah. how how inept we're making Din out to be. That's one of the things that's kind of breaking the story for me is that, you know, he was so much of a badass in the first couple seasons and the first stories that we've had with him. And now he's just like a pushover. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. And I think that that's one of those, those situations with Boba Fett that we've, had throughout the entire uh, legend series and things like that. When you have a character who is just too impressive and, and too ninja like, uh, you know, he goes back to the Superman thing. Yeah. Right? So here's a yeah. guy who's super strong. He's invulnerable. He shoots lasers out of his eyes. He can fly. Like he has no, weakness really they had to invent weaknesses for him they decided okay he's going to be weak against magic oh and then there's also kryptonite but i mean even then it's like oh you know three pages of the comic he's he's prone to kryptonite and then they fix it so Mm. it's hard to tell compelling stories because there's no conflict storytelling is all about conflict right yeah. Man versus man, man versus nature, man versus beast, man versus self. It's all about conflict. And I get that they want to show that Din struggles, but I kind of agree with you. I think he's struggling a little bit too much for what we would expect from a Mandalorian. Right. You could make him still strong and fall to something. I mean, everybody has you know accidents, mistakes happen, somebody gets the best of you. Right. You can still come back and, and beat that. I mean, you know, w- when you look at, you know, next weekend, John Wick comes out, right? John Wick 4. You yeah. don't see him just walking through every single situation unscathed. He gets hurt. He gets beat up. He gets shot. He gets hurt. But he comes through, and they write it in a way that you're believing what happened to him and how he how he overcame the difficulty he had. I mean, right. this guy slips off a step and sinks down to <laughs> the bottom of the water. I'm like, what happened? Yeah. And they tried to explain it in the sense that, uh, you know, the bombing opened up, uh, you know, he said, oh, I didn't think it was going to be that deep. And Bo-Katan said, yeah, there's some seismic activity and I guess it opened things up deeper below and, and all that. And I, I get it. But like what you said, there's kind of a pattern of this kind of mm. just blindly leaping off the cliff sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, fire that jetpack up, get out of the water. I mean, I, it That's just seemed the other thing. Yeah, it seemed really bizarre that he didn't even attempt it because by the time she found him, he was unconscious or whatever on the bottom, right? I mean, she, he wasn't even yeah. struggling. He was he was just laying there, um, which seemed a bit strange to me too. But I mean, regardless, you, you can write that off and move on. I mean, it just it, it seemed to be a little strange. And I guess it feels like it would be a natural reflex if you're in Mandalorian armor and you're falling that you hit the jetpacks when you don't want to fall any longer. Like if you look at the Ooh. following episode, he deploys out of her ship to get back to his N one. He jumps, he's falling feet first, just like he did in the water. Mm-hmm. And just before he lands, he hits his jetpack. Right. Why wouldn't you instinctively do the same thing when you're unexpectedly falling in the water? Yeah, it might take you another minute or two to kind of get your yep. wits about you. Well, not minute. should take a to second realize what or happened. two. Right, yeah. Yeah. And then yep. where's the jetpack? 
So I don't get it. It was almost like he was knocked unconscious or something. Which, if that was going to be the case, if you want to show, like, cut to underwater and he's falling and he slams his helmet against something and he ends up with, like, a slight concussion and isn't thinking mm-hmm. right, or, you know, I can okay, see that. Right. Yeah, that'd right. be fine, but you got to show that cutaway to him hitting his head. Right. I I get it. And, you know, we're nitpicking. We love the yeah, series. We are nitpicking, yeah, definitely. But there is, like, I, I get what you're saying. We have to constantly put um, disbelief on the shelf in order to continue watching a lot of mm. a lot of this stuff. And it's starting to make you wonder, you know, how good are Mandalorians in general, really? Bo-Katan, on the other hand, arguably, she's the most impressive Mandalorian we've seen so far. Oh, yeah. She just dives right in, you know, helps him out, comes back up, spots a mythosaur. Yeah. <laughs> Which was cool. Yeah. I mean, that was that was that was unexpected and very cool to see. That was very cool to see. I I saw that and I'm like, "Ha ha, ha what a great way yeah, to end yeah. the episode." Yeah. All right. Well, the next episode, The Convert picks up exactly where we left off. They're just coming out of the water. Mhm. And uh, we see Din Djarin go over and get a sample of the water. And we see Bo-Katan contemplating what just happened. And she asks Din if he saw anything alive down there. And he's like, nope, just uh, looking at the chasm, waiting for someone to come rescue me so I didn't have to use up my jetpack fuel. You know, yeah, right. going green environmentally conscious, you know, it's a good thing. And, uh, she kind of takes a moment and considers it. hmm, Okay. And we'll come back to that later on. Uh, so they get back to the ship. They get back out into space. They are in, uh, Bo-Katan's ship. They have a little bit of a talk. He's saying, you know, yeah, he's going to go back and not take the helmet off and all that. This is the way. And then they took a hit. And then Din says, we took a hit. <laughs> yeah, I was like, really observant there, dude. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I know. So I, I keep picking, but it's just like, I'm like really? What, what was your first clue? <laughs> right. The entire ship rattles. <laughs> we took a hit. Yeah. Brilliant. So a uh, squad of TIE Interceptors. One of my mm. favorite Imperial ships, by the way. So. Um, so there's a dogfight in space. They're trying to get back to the N1. They fly by the castle. Din jumps out, gets to his N1, flies off just as it was about to have been destroyed. We get a little bit more dogfighting. They circle back to the castle. Tie bombers have blown up the castle. Uh, Bo-Katan gets pissed off, which can't say a blamer. She goes after the TIE Interceptors, and all of a sudden there is a swarm of TIE Interceptors. Mm-hmm. Now, tie interceptors do not have hyperdrive, to my recollection. Yeah, I think I read somewhere they could have them installed, but it was not very common. Okay, so that's fair. My question is, where do they come from? And if they have hyperdrive, so, so be it. But then, to whom do they belong? Mm-hmm. Why would they have been there? At that moment, were they tracking Din Djarin for some reason? Right. 
were they going after Bo Katan for some reason? And why? And the whole thing about her stealing a ship. Uh, yeah, but no, I don't. I don't know that that's. Yeah, that's I don't a think pretty convenient timing. Blow, off, blow up her entire castle trying to get a ship. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah, and there's something more going on there. So, Din Djarin says, I know a place we can go. They jump to hyperspace. We get the title card. And then, boom, downtown Coruscant. And then we get the rest of this episode. Now, this episode, The Convert, and that title can mean a few different things, actually. There are three different characters we could be talking about, one of whom is Bo-Katan. We'll come back to that. Mm Mm-hmm. This episode got the lowest rating of any episode ever. When we were talking about the pilot episode on IMDb, it had a 7.6, which we said tied it with the episode in which Cara Dune was introduced back in season one. This has a 7.3. People either loved this episode or they hated it. So, Lou, before we go any further, we talked about what we're going to call the prelude. Now we're about to get into the meat of the episode, and we do have an epilogue at the end where we go back to Bo-Katan and Din Djarin. But before we go any further, what did you think about this episode? So I I really enjoyed it, um, and I think you probably know why, and our listeners will too, because it talks about the the you know the happenings in the universe and what the state of affairs are. Politically, which I, I find fascinating. I mean, it, you know, politics aren't always funny, glamorous, but I think that because of they're talking about what the the status of different groups are and, you know, the governments and everything else going on, it gives you that context of how did we get to here or from there to here. Um, and right. I find that fascinating. I, I really, really do. Yeah, I, I think it's an important part of world building. You can't have a story, and I'm going back to the original trilogy here, about rising up against an oppressive government without demonstrating what makes that government oppressive. You need something there. And we got away with a little bit less back then because that era of storytelling was different. But how did we get there? And that's what we had in the prequels. Where do we go afterwards? And, you know, how do we clean it up or do we successfully clean it up? And then we get the sequel trilogy, which arguably itself needs to be cleaned up. Uh, and then we get this in-between period, which is where we're at now. And we've mm-hmm. seen two different takes on this, one in Legends and one in the new canon. And even in Legends, there was a little bit of a cleanup. If you look at the Rogue Squadron books, the X-Wing series. Mm-hmm. By Mike Stackpole and the late Aaron um, Alston. Aaron Alston, thank you. Uh, we we see a little bit of a, a different take on this. We know Coruscant had some some difficulty as well, but as we see in this episode, basically they don't even really care who's in charge. They just want to continue doing what they're doing. This is where the rich and, and glamorous and, and all that hang out. And we get a little bit of of that civilian life exposure there on Coruscant. But it's what's going on with the government 
I think that makes all of the activities that we watch in Star Wars relevant. You know, we've got bounty hunters. Why do we have bounty hunters? Why do we have the Empire? Why do we have a rebellion? We get the New Republic. Why is there then a First Order? Why does the New Republic fall apart? If none of those moments have any meaning, then the individuals that we follow trying to do these epic things throughout all of these different films and and TV series Mm -hmm. means nothing. And I would have to say that if there's a reason people dislike the episode because of this part of it, I would have to think it's because they don't think it belongs in this series. That is fair. And it's kind of like the whole thing of, you know, we had the book of Boba Fett and it's Mm -hmm. like, well, we had a couple episodes that were all about the Mandalorian. So why are we having him in that show? when we could have his own show, you know? Um, Now they don't have a place to put this right now. So it, it does tie in because he was the guy that was on a ship from Gideon, but it, it, it does feel like you're taking a lot of time away from the Mandalorian in his show to tell another story. Yeah. So the question then becomes, if you want to go down this route, do you break this up and have this spread out as a C plot over the course of the season sprinkled in amongst other episodes? Or do you just chunk out the entire story in one episode? And I don't know what the right answer is, Mm -hmm. but I wonder with Disney plus, if you look over at Marvel, not that Marvel needs to be the litmus test by which everything else is compared and the template for all of these different things. But if you look at Marvel and you look at the, um, Oh, what was the Halloween special they had with the swamp thing? And, um, I don't recall. Yeah. Uh, anyway. um, yeah, they, they had that one. They had, uh, a holiday special for guardians of the galaxy. They're talking about doing more, uh, special events like that. Why didn't they have, a Mandalorian special event mm-hmm. focusing on Dr. Pershing. Yep. Just do it as a one shot, a prelude that then will lead into the upcoming season three of the Mandalorian. Yep. And it may have been taken differently too, if they had just interspersed this more with Mandalorian stuff, because you know, yeah. what's going to, I mean, we have characters that were originally, given to us in the Mandalorian series. So it's not like it's really out of left field, but because you had a little bit of Mando up front, you had the, basically the whole episode was Dr. Pershing and then a little bit of Mandalorian at the end. You're like, what, you know, it should, if they had just cut back and forth, it may have been received differently by the public. I think true. So I'm pulling up on IMDB here. Another bit of information. Yeah. So this episode was almost a full 15 minutes longer than the episode before it. Hmm. Okay. It felt like a longer episode. And I wonder if maybe that didn't also make people kind of question it a little bit. It felt longer, but it also felt like there was a lot of storytelling. I felt like they got a lot more accomplished in this episode than they have in a lot of other episodes. And I think that that extra 15 minutes really helped, but we did get Mandalorian and Bo-Katan at the beginning. 
And we did get Mandalorian and Bo-Katan at the end, which is more than we can say for the Mandalorian episode of The Book of Boba Fett. And that was the best episode of The Book of Boba Fett. I loved that episode. And I did like this episode. I'm with you, Lou. I think that this was some great world building. I thought the character development was great. I thought the the cat and mouse game thing was great. Um, We're going to get to breaking that down here in a minute. I liked the episode. I completely understand the perspective that it was out of place here. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do with it otherwise. I think it did fit with this series. It's okay to put it in The Mandalorian. But do you do it as 80% of an episode like this? Do you split it up over multiple episodes and keep cutting away back to Coruscant throughout the entirety of season three and spread it out? Or do you do a special edition? And I think maybe a special edition might have been mm, maybe yep. a special presentation, kind of a one shot episode might have been good and keep it under the Mandalorian banner, you know? Anyway, let's go into the episode itself. Um, we get Dr. Pershing, Dr. Penn Pershing, is giving a speech as part of the amnesty program for people who uh, had been in the Empire and now are part of the New Republic. And he's explaining why his intentions on cloning were benevolent, why he got into it, a little bit of backstory about his mother and uh, dying of a heart condition. And uh, explaining that he wasn't trying to further the Empire along. He was trying to further his research along that would improve lives. So we get through the end of that. We have a little scene that we were just alluding to of him meeting some of the audience members outside. You know, the rich and famous and posh and whatever. And then he goes back to his amnesty housing. And you kind of start to question whether he's really being treated very well or not. He gets there and there's a group of people who invite him over and they introduce one another, kind of bring him into the group because he's new there. This is new for him. One of the people in the group is, uh, by the way, he's now known as L 52. Yeah. I, I like how, you know, we're now the new better government and we're giving people numbers. They're not even names, just numbers now. Right. <laughs> kind of like stormtroopers. Yeah, a little bit. It felt oppressive. And I I don't like the move that Star Wars and a lot of the fan base has been emphatically in support of, of humanizing the Empire and demonizing the New Republic, like taking the heroes and making them more villain-like and taking the villains and making them more hero-like. I don't like those blurred lines. Like... Good mm-hmm. is good for a reason, and bad is bad for a reason. And yeah, there's a path that led someone to doing bad things. And yeah, maybe they weren't always bad, but they're still bad. Like, they they still did the bad things, and, and those things have consequences, and they have to be dealt with. And you can be forgiving, and you can be empathetic, but you also still have to be reasonable. And I, I don't know. I think a part of it's a reflection on our society of, you know, building people up as heroes and then doing what you can to tear them down. And then I don't know. I think there's a lot that can be said there, but it was bothersome for me to see them treated basically like prisoners as part of an amnesty 
amnesty program, almost like it's a concentration camp, but better. Right, right. It, it had that, that weird icky. feel to it. Yeah, it did. Yeah. But it also, you know, it's like, well, they're trying, they're doing something, but it just seemed off. Yeah, they're trying the the wrong thing. They're trying a bad thing. Well, yeah. You're right. Yeah, they're they're making an effort. They're like, okay, how do we reintegrate you? And well, we have to do it carefully. Yeah. And yeah, we got to keep an eye yeah. on you. It, it it kind of made me think back to after World War II with the snatching of the German scientists for like yes. rockets and so forth. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Werner von Braun and so forth of, you know, it, let, let, let's get them here and utilize their knowledge. But they're not in this case. They're they're trying to do that, but they're not really using his knowledge. Well, and I'm right? not a history buff. Uh, and if there are listeners who don't know what we're talking about, th- this was a real thing. In World War II, we took German scientists and had them work on various different things that have led to all kinds of advances that we have now, space exploration and, and various things. Mm. How were they treated, though, Lou? I, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know guy. either. I mean, okay. I, I know, like, I mean, we would not have gotten to the moon um, with the Apollo program without um, Werner von Braun. Um, yeah. He was the the main uh, Nazi rocket scientist that was, you know, taken away from Germany to, at the end of the war. Yeah. And he wanted to get out. It wasn't like he wanted to be yeah, there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, how they were treated here in the U.S., I do not know. Because I... I would like to think they weren't treated like they are here in the show. And yet I think it would be naive to just make that assumption that of course they must not have been because we're America. Well, I mean, yeah, it doesn't always happen. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Um, But on the flip side, I feel like in this case, in the Mandalorian here, they're not being treated well. And like you said, they're not being used for their skills. You've got one of the most allegedly one of the most brilliant geneticists there are. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's giving little speeches in front of audiences, almost as entertainment. And then he's going back home to his very tiny, small amnesty apartment. Right. So, and, and then he's going working in a cubicle where he's doing yeah. the same thing every day. And they give him the, the spiel with the robot where he's like, are you feeling any anger towards, you know, uh, you know, the new Republic and, and the government and your, your coworkers. And it's like, yeah. So, are they really treating him that well? I mean, just the fact that there wasn't a a person doing that interview with him, um, right? Very dehumanizing versus, versus a a droid. Yeah, there was a lot of dehumanizing in this episode, and I have to say, I think a lot of the design of this episode was very clever, and it annoys me on some level that it was rated so poorly by the audience because mm. I think that they. They showed visually that these people were doing fine. They were given clothing. They were given private apartments. They had uh, a droid that was checking in on them and seeing how they were doing. They were giving, uh, given employment. They were free to walk around and go to that little nighttime festival thing. And, uh, you know, he's giving speeches and he's coming out and he's being congratulated and, and et cetera. They're not in a prison cell. They're not actually in a concentration camp. When you look, it it looks fine. When you observe, they're being treated poorly. They're being given numbers. They're all being given the same clothing so that they all look uniform. Kind of like the the empire they just came out of. 
Yeah, I thought that was a strange choice to have their tunics look basically just like Imperial officer tunics. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they're being given menial tasks. I mean, he's inventorying scrap equipment being taken off of Imperial ships. So, again, brilliant geneticist, and he's doing, you know, entry-level, high schooler, part-time kind of work. They're being kept in an area that they're not supposed to leave a perimeter for. He's not really getting help from, like, a therapist droid or something like that. It's a parole droid, and it's a droid. It's not a human. Right. And it's more about, you know, hey, are you having any feelings of wanting to attack the New Republic or doing anything bad about, you know, toward the New Republic? I mean, those questions are clearly weighted in such a way that that's what they're trying to get at. Um, and then when he has questions, he can't ask a human. He has to ask a droid, you know, hey, can I continue doing what I do? Mm-hmm. Like, this is me. This is who I am. Can I, can I keep doing it on my own? Nope. Sorry. And so you've got all of the, this dehumanization going on. And then you get someone who connects with him. G-68, the communication, the lead communications officer from Moff Gideon's ship. She is also part of the amnesty program. And unlike in the episode we saw her before, she is, she's happy to be out of the empire. You can see it in her face. She has this warm glow. Mm -hmm. She spends time with Dr. Pershing and really warms up to him. There's a connection. You you can kind of just see it in her eyes and her body language and, and all of this kind of stuff. And, um, and she's explaining to him, you know, listen, we're not, they're not utilizing our skills, but we need to contribute. We need to do something to make people's lives better. This is what we do. We need to be a part of, of this new Republic. We need to find a way to contribute. And she basically sets him up to then go ask this Pearl droid, Hey, if there's a way I can help the Republic, does that supersede everything else? And the droid says, yes. He's like, great. And he gets up and he runs off and he finds G68. And he's like, I'm in. Let's go find this, mm, um, mm-hmm. this mobile lab kit. Mobile lab device thing. Right. So she, um, she and he, the following night, they go, they get on a train and they get out of town and they're talking a little bit on the train. They're connecting. Uh, they get spotted on the train. So they get off the train and they jump from the train. They get into the Imperial shipyard. They get into a ship. They have some more conversations talking about you know him always having known what he wanted to do. And when the question comes back to her, she's kind of like back in the shadows a little bit and, and doesn't yep. really answer. Uh, they get out, and I know I'm I'm breezing through a lot of this stuff, but they get out, they they get caught, and it turns out she turned him in. Right. Which all of you this know, was a setup. And it seems so bizarre because as as they were going out to the to shipyard and as they were leaving the zone they were allowed to be in, all these things that were, you know, kind of like each one is a, a step 
beyond where they should be or, or, or step over the line into the, you know, illegal activities or whatever. Right. Um, and each time that happens, it's like she, you can almost see her becoming more imperial and more in her old ways of, of being manipulative and doing, you know, Gideon's work or, or the empire's work, you know, but, but only as yes, but only as she gets him to trust her more and more. Right. But, but as I progressed, the whole time I get this feeling of, okay, yeah, she's really screwing him with this. It's like, it, 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 yeah. there's more going on here than we know. And then when they get caught and she's like, yeah, here he is. And she walks away. I'm like, what, 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 wait, what happened? That, that threw me a bit there because I'm like, that doesn't, that didn't play along with the vibes I was getting from her um, along the way. Well, and so I wondered about that because I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Like there was, it wasn't just her being friendly to him. Like I was wondering if it was starting to become something more than that. Like she was, they were really connecting. And I hmm. got to say that I, you know, props to both actors for this because they really did have chemistry. She was an entirely different character in this episode than in the brief moment we saw before. And at the end mm, mm -hmm. of this episode, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is like way out of character. That was like some genuine connection there. And then I thought, Oh, wait a minute. The head communications officer. So mm. body language, psychology, all of these things that you would need in order to to win someone over like that. Like, she knew exactly what buttons to push. All of them. She also knew how to appeal to the side of him that would lead to fulfillment, something he would actually pursue, something that was meaningful to him. I'm sure she had his entire background. And if you look back, I rewatched the episode and you can clearly see all along that she was intentionally setting him up specifically so that he would go and try to steal something so that she could report him for stealing so that he would be failing out of the amnesty program, knowing that he would then be taken to a mind flare and in hopes that she would have the ability and the access to then crank that thing up to 11 to blow whatever secrets he had about Gideon and all of those cloning projects right out of his brain. The whole thing from start to finish, she's a plant on behalf mm -hmm. of Gideon or someone else, but probably Gideon yep. to make sure that Dr. Pershing doesn't remember anything about what's going on. I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I lean on the same side you are with this. I think she is definitely, um, she probably needs to go back through the reindoctrination training again, because I don't think she's fully, uh, on the side of the new Republic. Um, there's something that's going on there. She is not yeah. on their side. She is definitely working against their best interests. But again, um, if you know psychology well enough, and I'm sure she does as, you know, a high ranking communications officer, mm -hmm. you know what to say, you know how to convince oh, them yeah. that, yeah, you are fully on board. You're totally oh, yeah. down with the new Republic and this whole amnesty yep. thing. 
Yeah. So yep. the and that's why person. they trust her to do what she was doing. But then yeah, to have her come in and crank up the mind flare, it's like, oh, okay, there's something else going on here. So now she's, yeah. you know, a counter counter spy. <laughs> right. Know? Exactly. A, a triple agent. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess I felt like there was a lot of good character development. There was a lot of good story development. There was some good world building. I think that this does further the plot because, mm-hmm. I mean, we know that uh, Giancarlo Esposito is attached to this season. And we haven't seen him yet. We don't know where he is. We heard a couple of rumblings at the beginning of the episode that, oh, he escaped. Well, no, Mind Flayer, you know, et cetera. Right. We know right. we're going to see him again. So it seems, and they've only got, what, eight episodes? And this is episode three. So we're almost, next week we will be halfway mm-hmm. through the season. I don't think he's only going to show up in the finale or something like that. So we have to plant seeds of Gideon's involvement with things going on. To me. Makes sense. It makes sense. So I liked this episode. I thought all of that, that playing Pershing and the psychology of it and all of that, I think was, was a big deal. When we get to uh, the bad batch, we get an episode where they mention Mount Tantus, mm-hmm. which is where uh, in the Thrawn trilogy, Palpatine had his cloning facilities and the Sparty cylinders and all that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we know that Dr. Pershing was working on cloning. We know that it involved Grogu. Uh, we know that in episode nine, the rise of Skywalker, we see a cloned, emperor and a bunch of clones of Snoke. So I think it makes sense to invest a little bit in this whole cloning storyline. I mean, we've got several episodes of the bad batch with, uh, Keminoans and Camino and all of that. And we're getting a little bit of this in the Mandalorian. And I think we're going to get more as we go along and we're going to see how this all coalesces into a bigger part of the world building. I'm happy with this episode. I don't know why people, I mean, I, I, I guess I kind of get it why people didn't like it that much, but mm-hmm. I feel like you have to zoom out a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I kind of think the only reason why people didn't like it is because it's taking away from the main story beat of the Mandalorian. Right. But I hope it plays in. I hope, like you said, I hope this is because Gideon's coming back. We have more stuff going on with him. These are characters that were introduced in, in the Mandalorian. So it makes sense that they're here. Um, although sometimes this kind of thing is, why would he be involved in any kind of storyline with, um, Gideon now, just because he was involved in one of the storylines last season. I mean, you don't have an unlimited amount of shows to be able to to do that in. So you kind of have to put it somewhere, but I mean, this to me feels like the whole Gideon thing should be another spinoff storyline down the road, not part of the Mandalorian, but. I'll take what I can get. And right now I'm liking what I'm getting. So <laughs> I tell you what, if they want to do a Gideon spinoff series, I'm all for it. I'm not even saying it's be like, like you said, maybe it's a, it's a special event where yeah. you do a, a story about Gideon. I mean, that could be a, a 
you know, call it a TV movie, whatever you want to do. But, mm-hmm. you know, whatever his story is going to be, that that's something different than what we have here as part of The Mandalorian. I mean, there's so much good stuff we can talk about with what's going on with him. Um, and we do finish up this episode back to Din again. Um, and there's a whole lot going on there. So, you know, we got a lot about this character Pershing that we, you know, didn't have much invested in last season when we could have had a lot more story about Din and what's going on with him. And becoming redeemed and keeping the water from the you know the living waters of Bandalore and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I I get it. I I just think that later we're gonna look back in hindsight and we are going to be more grateful for this episode than we are now. No, I, I agree hundred percent with you because I yeah. I liked what we got. I'm glad we got this storyline going on, and I can't wait to see where this one goes as well as the Mandalorian stuff goes. Yep. Speaking as we finish up the episode, yeah, we finish up the episode back with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, they get to uh, the covert, right? Yep. And he's coming back, and they're like, no, you're still, you know, cast out, and we don't want to talk to you. And <laughs> he's like, wait, <laughs> I have water in my pocket. And, uh, you know, he goes through the whole thing of, I was, uh, you know, I bathed in the living waters of Mandalore and they don't believe him. And, you know, and he's like, no, this is my real bath water. I've been selling it on Etsy. It, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, look, it's this. I mean, that's a little oh, gross, dude. Like yeah, after did, you bathe in it <laughs> and then you bottle it up. You you couldn't got the sample first and then maybe dipped in. I mean, cause like, when's the last time you had a shower, dude? Right. You were in that, that helmet all the time now. Yeah. Ooh. Never take it off, you know? <laughs> Ugh. So, I mean, where do they finish up with this episode now? Where, what are we going to get? Because we had, last episode, um, Bo-Katan was like, yep, no, nope, I'm just kicking back here because nobody likes me anymore. All my friends left. <laughs> you know, to right. now, oh, I have new friends. And, yeah. you know, that was one of the things that's like, okay, I saw this coming a mile away of, oh, you're redeemed too. Because why else would she have left her helmet on in her ship instead of taking her helmet right. off? Right. Because you know she would have taken it off the moment she got to her ship otherwise. But I think right. Right. that I agree with you. I think she saw the mythosaur. I still think she has a legitimate claim now to the Darksaber. But I think between that and having seen the mythosaur, she's like, wait a minute. If I can go back to that group and then rally them around me taming the mythosaur. Now I will, I will be the Mandalore. I will be the leader again. Right. So yeah, I think she's trying to get an in with this group. The armorer is apparently fine with it. Pax Vizsla does not seem very happy. No, not at all. Yeah. So do you think that's what she's up to? You think she's going to be trying to, I, to take the I think so. Yeah. I, yeah. It makes, I don't know if she's going to take the covert or at least use that as a way to gain some followers and move on. I mean, maybe it's not take them away, but, mm-hmm. um, give herself some more legitimacy in, in the eyes of Mandalorians in general. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think that this is going to be her pathway back to leadership. So, all right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for The Mandalorian. We're going to hit these last episodes of The Bad Batch really quick. I know we're running pretty long on time. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe we do need to do a deeper dive 
on this later on. You know, when we get Tom and Tim back, maybe they'll have some additional comments and we can come back and revisit this. But we've Mm -hmm. got three episodes here. The first one, Metamorphosis. Uh, We get to meet a baby Zillow Zillow Beast from the Clone Wars series. Rather, it's not actually a baby. I guess technically it's a clone. And again, we got the reference to Mount Tantus, which was kind of interesting. Uh, The second of the three episodes is an episode focusing on Crosshair. Yeah, so it was kind of neat having that back. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to come back to that in just a second, too. Uh, And then the final one from this past week was called Pabu. Where the group finds a, a island hideaway, basically, and helps intervene during a natural disaster. So, going back to the the baby Zillow Beast episode, I thought this one was pretty good. It had a little bit of a horror movie feel to it at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then kind of a kaiju thing by the end. What do you think yeah, of this it, one? I I liked it. The, these three episodes in general didn't do a lot for me moving the storyline. I think I think the season is a little bit disjointed overall. We're not getting we don't have the cohesive group anymore. We've we've lost members, they're doing different things now. And it just seems like it was starting out really good this season and then things have kind of been you know, a little haphazardly, I guess, the way they've written the stories or the way they've at least slotted the episodes in. Hmm. And this one didn't seem to do much for me as far as moving the overall story ahead. So for me, it was like, well, okay. So one of the interesting things about the bad batch is not only do we have a difference in the storytelling technique, because we have a broader spectrum of the audience because it's more of a, a family focused series, but we also have like 20 episodes, right? So we have a lot longer a period of time in which to be able to dart in and out of some of these stories and and have these little side adventure moments and such. Um, Or where we have an episode where just a tiny, tiny little bit of it is relevant to things later on. I think the Mount Tantus thing is going to come up again. But I also think cloning in general. So we've got this same theme running through Bad Batch, running through The Mandalorian running through the sequel trilogy of movies. And uh, I, I think, you know, getting to see that Palpatine, as was indicated in this episode, ordered clones of Zillow beasts in order to weaponize them. Mm-hmm. I think that that might end up playing into the bigger overall storyline across this era of Star Wars. I think it just hasn't come to fruition yet. It possibly. I mean, that's the one thing about this one is that, you know, the cloning in general is kind of a, a, a main part of this, but it gets lost in the action. I think you're right. You're right. You know, there's, there's action in this, in this episode that kind of masks or hides maybe the story they're trying to get to, which have been kind of dancing around all, all season, right. Of, of they have rights so that, you know, what yeah. are they? You know, where do they land now? That we don't need them anymore. Um, so yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on in regards to that. True. True. Um. Well, and then we also see a little bit at the end of the Empire and how they're handling things, and it's like, nope. Anybody who witnessed this, we're gonna execute them all. Kind of that approach. Yeah, right. right. 
The next one, The Outpost, this is the one about Crosshair. I kind of feel like this one maybe had a little bit more going on with the immediate storyline in the sense that they've kind of been poking at Crosshair recently. Uh, mm-hmm. Between an earlier episode this season and then this one, kind of nudging him toward having some doubt. Yeah. And I'm going to be curious as to how that plays out. If you look at traditional storytelling, I kind of feel like what we see a lot of is a situation where he is eventually going to come back and somehow change sides back to the good guys again, have some kind of big heroic sacrifice at the end. So I'm wondering if they're not setting him up for that, which is kind of a common uh, archetype in storytelling over the years. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm wondering if they're going to go that route. I hope they don't kill him off just because that's how that archetype typically goes. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've played him up to the point where, you know, is he really damaged to the point where you know, he's had that whole thing of, you know, good soldiers follow orders. Um, right. And it kind of backed off that a little bit, but he's still almost like has that brainwashing in him. Is he, is he really sane? Is he, is he insane? Has something broken in him from, you know, that, that specialized stuff they did to, you know, Clone Force 99. Right. Um, to give him something different and, and has something gone wrong now. And now it's kind of not working at all. That he's well, going even, back to what he was. Even if you look at some of the other, um, uh, the the other clones who did not malfunction, mm. even them are starting. Some of them are starting to have doubts now as well. So I think it's maybe it's part of it's wearing off, and part of it is just there's only so much you can look at the world around you and not see that there's something very wrong. Yeah, I think I, I think the other clones all had that because it seemed like, you know, Crosshair had something else go wrong in his, you know, diary wiring that, that set him off on a different path of, no, I'm going to be what I was. And I'm also got some of the order 66 thing going on in my head too, which I haven't quite flushed out. Yeah. So, you know, he doesn't understand, but now he's starting to maybe. And now yeah. that he's seen, I mean, this episode was a big departure for him because now he's not following orders. He's he's doing things that are against what was told of him to do. Yeah. And then at the end there, uh, this is going to spin his story off in an entirely new direction. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get to episode 13, Pabu. I didn't really know what to think about this one. It, you know, we talk about filler episodes and, and I, I keep trying to avoid using that term because I don't think it's fair because even the filler episodes typically have something to do with the, the bigger plot somehow. Mm-hmm. But unless this is going to become like a new base of operations for them, because the whole theme of this episode was kind of like, hey, could we make a home out of this or do we want to make a home at all? Right. And it looked like the decision was made that, yes, we do, and that this could be a place for it. And then we get the happy little uh, wrap up at the end of the credits, which is very atypical of a Clone Wars or Bad Batch episode. But it's Mm -hmm. basically they find this island and there's a community there that they get welcomed into and they get tempted to set up 
like a home there for themselves. There's a natural disaster. They help the people avert it. The place is still intact. It didn't get destroyed by the disaster. So I guess this is their new home. The end. Thanks for watching the series, everyone. Goodbye. Yeah, it did seem like they were kind of wrapping this up to be this is where we're going to leave them. And uh, so we haven't got a confirmation on season three, right? The best of my knowledge, we don't have any confirmation of that. We don't. But we also have to keep in mind we're only halfway through season two. Um, a little over we? halfway. I thought. Well, we're getting like 20 to, episodes, and this is 13. Okay, because, I mean, according to Wikipedia here, it says there's 16 episodes. Is there only 16? I thought there were that's, 20. That's what's showing. I mean, it, they show three more episodes that have not been died, you know, um, documented yet as far as Well, we have names for the next three, but I don't know that that means that there's all that there is. So we've, we've well, got maybe. Tipping Point, yeah. The Summit, and Plan 99. Well, no, I think Plan 99 was yeah, in, in, in the finale. The last two, The Summit and Plan 99, are both to be released in the same day, which yeah, to me would be a wrapping a up point. of the season. Yeah, no, you're right. 16th and final episode of the second season. Okay. Okay. So and, you know, if they leave it there, I'm fine. But it seems like we had a lot of questions opened up this season that we're not going to get to. Yeah, we've got the cloning thing still. We've got crosshair. We've, I mean, maybe the, the, the whole Omega them going thing. in and breaking I mean, in to get crosshair out somehow, and then coming back here. We've also got Sid. Like they they pissed Sid off. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Sid's not happy with them. So, you know, oh, we've got the whole Omega thing. You know, what there. is the deal with Omega? Right. It seems like we had a lot of stuff leading up to this and, you know, we should get some payoff as to what she is. Right. And I'm important. wondering if that's not kind of the big hook that then takes us into season three. Yeah. Because they kind of did that at the end of season one, too. That That's when they started to get into a little bit of the, the Kaminoans and the mystery behind who... Omega is. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I my math was off. We've only got three episodes left, one of which is clearly a two-parter. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it would be, be a shame if they don't kind of wrap some of this stuff up. I mean, I, I don't need everything tied up in a nice little bow, but we should get some closure on a lot of the topics they brought up because i mean we weren't supposed to get a lot out of this i mean the first season was supposed to be a, a one and done season and it was well received so they kept going with it which i think is great but we've opened up so many little tidbits that i want to get more on i wish they would continue or hope they do yeah well, you know, we were talking about ratings and such. Metamorphosis got an 8.2 on IMDb. The Outpost got a 9.1. Pabu got a 6.7. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Retrieval got a 6.6. Um, some other notable ones. The Clone Conspiracy and Truth and Consequences got an 8.7 and a 9.1. Entombed was a 6.2. Faster was a 6.5. There seems to be a little bit of a correlation between the type of story and what the ratings have been. So the little one-and-done Indiana Jones types episodes have gotten the lower ratings. And then this one, Pabu, like this kind of felt like an episode of resistance to me. You remember that 
that yeah, series yeah. no, that everybody right. forgot existed and it was only like a couple of years ago and yet <laughs> we've already forgotten it because it was so bad a very a very kid kid show yeah a very kid-esque show but well we'll see what i mean we're gonna have end of the month we'll know where we're kind of landing with this season at least that's true. Not much and time I left. imagine if there's going to be something discussed about this, they will release information about this at Celebration London. Yes, um, which is coming up very, very soon. Yes. Yeah. Mm, can't wait. I, I hope that we get some sort of a good, a good reveal out of it. Oh, I know we're not covering news, and I know we're running crazy long. But uh, Damon Lindelof made a comment in an interview where uh, I forget the exact analogy was, but he said, you know, I've been kind of thinking over the Star Wars stuff, and it's like sometimes you you want to be in the kitchen, and then other times you just want to sit at the table and wait to eat some really, really good food. <laughs> and I don't want to mess this up. You know, my first movie ever was 1977, sitting on my dad's lap watching Star Wars. And he's a fan. And he, he's always stated he's a fan. But it almost sounds like now he's having second thoughts. And I'm like, no, you're the one person who <laughs> hasn't left yet. Yeah. So I'm hoping that Celebration will have some sort of a reveal about I hope there's something. some good news. And then they've already said we're not getting Celebration next year. So the next one will be in the States probably in 2025. But yeah, hopefully they set a roadmap and give us some some details next month. That's um, what April eight, nine, and ten. No, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And hopefully, the roadmap is not written in pencil. Keep erasing <laughs> it. They go through more erasers there. I swear they do. They do. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Horse Chatter. Thank you for hanging out with us. I know this was really long, but we had a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, we are going to be back next week with coverage of the next episode of the Mandalorian. This will be episode four and episode 14 of the bad batch, the penultimate episode before the two part finale. So, um, we will be back with lots more to talk about. Hopefully with both Tim and Tom, we will see, but, uh, until then take care, everybody. We will see you again soon.